Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to My Christmas Time Capsule Part 2. And yes, Christmas is so close, I feel it in my fingers, I feel it in my toes, and most annoyingly I feel it in my water. I think it's a bladder infection. Still, hopefully this, our final Christmas time capsule of this year, will banish any ill thoughts and launch us all into a mad world of presents, family, friends, food, party games, crackers, mince pies, figgy pudding, whatever that is, fairy lights, charades, and a massive falling out over Trivial Pursuit at three in the morning. And what better way to start this tinsel-decorated chatless than with the brilliant stand-up comedian, actor, and star of the Ben Elton comedy Upstart Crow, Rob Rouse talking about what else at this season milk yes milk don't blame me it's up to the guests what they talk about nice to see uh, just for the tail of the tape there this is Michael Fenton Stevens drinking a large glass of milk <laughs> very healthy that never goes away does it I love a glass of milk a cold milk the best thing in the world yeah it is isn't it really cold milk is sensational isn't yeah. it it really is and slightly bizarrely cheaper than a bottle of water I, it's insane isn't it crazy that, well. that's something is well there's a lot of things that are deeply deeply screwed up for that to be the case aren't they <laughs> I blame Putin <laughs> yeah it, it, it's that and it's and it's it's everything i mean that's capitalism in a nutshell isn't it or in a glass it really is <laughs> cheaper to drink milk than it is to drink bottled water crazy crazy come on I'm, i said i wouldn't keep you for long so no it's all right it's a pleasure to see you it's yeah. a rainy day and what better what better way than to put ourselves in the christmas spirit I, I'm, I'm well up for it yeah brilliant are you allowed to include that in the podcast that we're recording this in uh, mid-november <laughs> and it's 
absolutely coming down in stair rods outside. So I couldn't think of a better thing to do than get Christmassy. Absolutely. So, yeah, let's get Christmassy. I'm going to put some jingle bells behind this and say, Rob, Rob, it's Christmas. Wake up. Oh, happy Christmas, Michael. (laughs) And happy Christmas, one and all. (laughs) Is that how you wake up on Christmas Day? Well, I usually usually wake up on Christmas Day a lot earlier than I will want to Mm. um, because children wake me up and although my daughter will be 11 this Christmas, we we do have to say to it, like they they still say, what time can we get up? Yeah. We even, one year, we put a padlock on the... (laughs) On the door into where the, uh, where the Christmas, where Santa had come down, basically. Yeah. Um, so, so that the kids didn't disturb Santa. That was important. Well, so what is it particularly that you love about Christmas? I was trying to work out what, what my biggest abiding memory of Christmas is. Mm. And it is um, surprises. And I'm, I'm tr- I don't know whether I'm any good at surprises or not, as in receiving them. Yeah. Because they are quite, they can be quite difficult to deal with surprises. I think, especially when you're a kid, because children have very specific ideas, don't they, about what they might want or what they feel they need in their life at that point. Yeah, and it, and they and they can be very clear about it, but also it can be very hard as an adult or as a parent to really drill down into what the thing is they're after, mm. because their worlds are really quite complex and they can't always necessarily express all of it or maybe sometimes living in a world that doesn't quite hear what they need or what they really think they want i remember christmas feeling like something of a lottery when (laughs) i was a kid but also we grew you know i grew up in the 70s mid 70s early 80s where we you didn't have like christmas wasn't extravagant in the way that maybe it feels now Mm. on the other side of the parental um, uh, mirror yeah, and and you know it was a more frugal affair. You know, it was. I can remember growing up with the same decorations on the tree my entire life. Yeah. The same tinsel, <laughs> the same, the same lametta, which was that. that I don't. It was, I don't. I don't really see it anymore. Lametta is that that kind of individual strands of tinsel like spaghetti. Yeah. That would get taken off, folded up, and brought out the next year. It did that a good 15, 20 years. That's as far as I can remember. And I think that's a good thing. That is a really good thing because it's a lot of plastic, isn't it? But yeah, so the, the concept of surprise, that's what I was thinking about. And I, But I remember the best Christmas present and surprise I ever got. I ruined the surprise, but not on, on purpose. Now... Now, when I was a kid, snooker was huge. Mm. It's hard to it's hard to uh, explain to our younger listeners here just quite how much snooker players were like rock stars when I was a kid. You have a Stephen Hendry poster up. Maybe you were old school like Ray Reardon, who looked like Dracula, <laughs> but was actually from Wales and was really funny. Or maybe you like Dennis Taylor with the upside down glasses. Mm. Or you were a Steve Davis guy. Or you. You like the whirlwind of Jimmy White or the chaos of Hurricane Higgins. Mm. But I remember those halcyon years of snooker because there was three channels back then, wasn't there? It would be pre-channel four even. Yeah. And snooker play, like, so the snooker, Welch's snooker finals were, were kind of 25, it was like Morecambe and Wise, 25 million people watched it yeah. and then would go into work the next day bleary-eyed if it rolled on into the Monday. It mm. was 
It was huge. These things were huge. They were on, like, all the kids' Saturday morning TV programmes. Yeah, yeah, all of them. Hey, on the show today, you could speak on the telephone to Steve Davis. <laughs> kids ringing up, queuing up to ring, ring up Steve Davis live on Saturday morning television. And he'll give you a fantastically detailed, oh, over-intricate answer. Absolutely, about, about, you know, about putting bottom side on a cue ball. It was... It was incredible. It was like we were all middle-aged children. It was incredible. <laughs> so they, they were huge. And, and there was Kirk Stevens, the poster boy of snooker. Because uh. he was like the only one who was slightly younger and uh, wore different coloured suits. So he was seen as like absolute pop star. Yeah. Cliff Thorburn, the grinder. <laughs> Very different connotations now, isn't it? Cliff, <laughs> Cliff Thorburn, the grinder. That nickname has not aged well. Nope. <laughs> but um, but I'm sure, you know, it secures him respect in every camp. Yeah, um, my favourite was Bill Werbenick. Bill Werbenick. Who had to get pissed to play. Yeah, he, that's right. He was, because uh, Neil Folds was on beta blockers. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, but Bill Werbenick took a different route of drinking 25 pints of lager a day, didn't he? <laughs> and as a result, I think Bill is not with us anymore. And no. um, I'm assuming being Bill, Bill Werbenick... Um, was was probably the of the cause of death certificate, but he was as large as a man you'd expect who drank twenty five pints of lager a day. Yeah, um, and I remember there was that brilliant piece of commentary, wasn't it, where he uh, he had one of those shots where a player has one foot on the floor and one leg on the side of the table. Yeah, and Ted Lowe said, "Steady on, Bill. We've only got one table." <laughs> Incredible. But um, anyway, so snooker was massive, and we were all snooker crazy, but. Uh, you know, the, 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 and I remember there was a, um, a company called Pot Black brought out all these tiny little tabletop-sized tables. And uh, one afternoon, I think it was in September, I was in my mum and dad's bedroom playing with the cat. We had a cat called Jemima that didn't like anyone at all. <laughs> she liked my mum a bit. And then, but and she tolerated the rest of us. Um, and I was I'm probably annoying you. And I was sat on the end of my mum and dad's bed playing with the cat. And I think she whacked me on the hand with her claws and I fell off the bed. I fell off the end of the bed. And there, boom, as I hit the deck, I saw <laughs> a rail of a six-foot snooker table. Mm. And I could not... It was, it was everything I dreamed of. But we're talking... <laughs> we're at the pinnacle of snooker. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I slowly just pulled out the table and it, and it was a six-foot snooker table... Now, it was, the cloth was absolutely threadbare. This thing must have been about 40 years old. <laughs> All the pockets were hanging off. But it was a six-foot snooker table that they got out the back of the paper. Mm. Bless him. It was incredible. And, and I pulled it, and I could only, because of where, where the edge of the wall was, I could only pull it out about half a, a foot and a half. Yeah. So I could just about see the bulk end. And then using, um, then I found one of the cues which needed a tip on it, but I'm sure they were going to put one on it. And I managed to <laughs> scoop the box of balls up. Mm. And this is how old the table was. They weren't even the modern uh, metric size. They were old imperial size <laughs> oh, snooker balls. So they were slightly smaller <laughs> snooker balls. Mm. But it was a snooker table, Michael. Oh. It was a snooker table. Threadbare, but in all of its glory. So you had to wait from September till Christmas. I had to wait from September to Christmas, <laughs> knowing that there was a snooker table. 
And basically, any opportunity that they went out, I would pull it out the foot and a half that was achievable, arrange the balls at the top end, and like do little pots across the top of the bulk end. And then, and then desperately have one ear out for a key in the door and then push it all back in. And by, I'd say by November, I had it down to a fine art of the yeah. speed it took me to get it out and get it back in again. But then, and this might also be where my performing career officially began, because um, I had to feign surprise on Christmas morning. Of course. So, and, and I'm trying to think how old I was. Maybe I was about, I might have been about 10. So I was in that area where um, I can't remember where I was in my belief of Santa Claus, which obviously now I now fully believe again. I'm mm. obviously back on board with that. Um, but you, you were through periods of doubt in your teenage years, don't you? And then, yeah, yeah. then you see him for real in the shopping centre and go, yep, no, he is real. Absolutely, I'm an <laughs> Indian. Yeah. And I remember they put it on a wallpaper pasted table and covered it in, uh, in wallpaper to wrap it up because it was too big. Yeah. It was with a bit of sellotape at the corners. <laughs> and I think I get, in my mind's eye, I gave an Oscar-winning performance because I thought, you can't go too big because then it could seem, it could seem unreal. So what I went for was stunned. <laughs> so I thought it's less work as an actor, isn't it? It's less work yeah. and it's perhaps easier to pull off. <laughs> Just stand and stare. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I think they bought it, although I have told them in my adult years that uh, this same story. <laughs> although, of course, it was a bit of a giveaway when your dad, after lunch, said, right, come on, let's clear this stuff, come on. Right, Rob, come on, I'll give you a game. I'll show you how to play. And, yeah. uh, and he said, uh, I'll break, and then you can have a go. And he breaks. And <laughs> yeah, then, exactly. And, th- and then, because you've been practising your pots since September, you cleared the thing. Yeah, exactly. And he goes, well, you, have you ever played before, Rob? And, no, Dad, no. You've got to be careful. That, that left-hand cushion's a bit dead, actually, Dad. It's lost <laughs> a lot of its spring. And the nap on the worn cloth takes the ball slightly to the side. <laughs> Blown it. Blown it. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. But that knackered snooker table. So we, we made some new pockets for it and re-kind of threaded them and stuff. And that got played on solidly, yeah. solidly for years and years and years. I've still got it. It's in really? my garage. And my, my kids had a bit of a burst on it. Um, and I even uh, bought some um, some new cloth off eBay and I treated it to a recover. Took it to bits, <laughs> pinged, the, pinged the things off. And uh, yes, yeah, so it lives on, but it never took hold with the kids as mm. because it wasn't, it wasn't as rock and roll. It wasn't blanket no. coverage. <laughs> it's the one game that was really waiting for colour TV, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> Ray Reardon just lining up the next grey. Uh, and he's wondering if he can get from the grey onto the grey. But what he has to do is avoid hitting the grey ball, because if he cannons off the grey ball, he'll go into the greys, and then, then the break will be over, because he won't be able to get the grey in. Incredible, isn't it? Incredible. Oh, Rob, what a lovely Christmas memory. Thank you. So surprise, yeah, surprise. It's all about surprise, isn't it? Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas, mate. Merry Christmas, Michael, to you and and uh, and what is it? What does it say at the end of uh, Christmas Carol? To one and all. <laughs> nope. It's God not, bless is it? us. God bless us, one and all, Mister. <laughs> and that'll do, <laughs> Mister Tiggy Winkle. Is that right? <laughs> Something like that, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know any Shakespeare. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> The wonderful explosion of fun that is Rob Rouse. 
That'll do for starters, won't it? But I think we should ask the expert on Dickens and a Christmas Carol, Catherine Russell, star of Holby City and much, much more, to say a few words and set the record straight. A Christmas Carol, I think, is my favourite book of all time, actually. And we read... And <laughs> I used to read it in the sitting room. December the 1st, I'd start reading it and people would come in and sit and listen to some of it and some people would go off and some... Anyway, it's got to the point now where nobody comes and listens to it. <laughs> I sit there all on my own like a nutter reading it to myself, which is why I put it on YouTube last year because I thought nobody else... <laughs> nobody else The brilliant thing about that book is that, and people forget it unless you read it regularly or you know it terribly well, is that most of it is the tales of the ghosts and going back into the past and future. Hardly any of it is the bit that everybody remembers, which is his redemption. Mm. That lasts about three pages at the end. Mm. It just, Mm. bang, it's done. I mean, every film that's ever been made, he goes and takes presents to Tiny Tim. He doesn't in the book. No, he sends a turkey. (laughs) Yeah, but it's sort of implicit in it. The very fact that you know that he's been redeemed, you know what's going to happen. You know all the things, the lovely things that are going to happen. And that's the joy of it, I think. Yes, and what is it? What is it? It's something like he kept it better than any man. Any man alive, yes. He had no further intercourse with spirits, but lived upon the total abstinence principle there ever after. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. Mm. May that truly said of us and all of us, and so is Tiny Tim observed. God bless <laughs> us, everyone. Hooray. And there you are. I mean, you're already crying. There we are. God bless us, everyone. Right, time to travel back to a childhood in Primrose Hill with the beautiful Queen of Blue Peter and Saturday morning TV, Sarah Green. Oh, I mean, like most people, when you get to this stage in life, there are so many memories of Christmas, some of them more pleasant than others. Mm. But there is one for me that is overarching and just magical. And so that's the one I would want to share with you. Oh, wonderful. OK, well, I'll, I shall keep it in the Christmas time capsule for you then. All right. If you wouldn't mind, yeah. Michael, I would be most grateful um, because this is one of those memories that I go back to when I need to press reset on joy and happiness sometimes um, because it, it, it was phenomenal. Now, I think I am much older than you and I think <laughs> that you will not remember the winter of 1962 going into 63. Even I was very little mm. then, very little. And I've since seen documentaries about that winter and realised how harsh I mean, it was it, it was Arctic. Yes, people talk about the beast from the east. That's nothing. Yes, nothing. Nothing to what we suffered in the sixties. This was this was <laughs> <laughs> this was Siberia comes to the UK. But as a four-year-old, to wake up on Christmas morning. Now, I think when we um, when we did our my time capsule a while back, I remember I mentioned that before my siblings came along. My parents and I lived in a a very small flat that they had converted at the top of an old house, Mm. uh, one of those seven-storey old Victorian uh, family homes. 
Imprimeur said. Lovely. And I said, think 101 Dalmatians. And that is exactly the thought to have in your head because mm. that's what it was like. What it wasn't is what Primrose Hill is now, as lovely as it is, um, which is wall-to-wall coffee shops, art galleries, that kind of thing. It was a village and it was peopled by out-of-work actors mainly, um, painters, artists of every description. And it was a wonderful place to be. Mm. Uh, and so waking up, on Christmas morning, 1962, and looking outside of the window at the back of other houses and gardens and old trees growing between them, covered in white. It was Narnia, and the snow was falling thickly. And I just almost took it for granted because I was a little girl, and isn't that what's meant to happen? (laughs) But it was just joyful. And there at the end of my bed was the present that I really hoped that Father Christmas would bring for me, which was a doll's house that had been made by my father, Harry. He had made me a doll's house with electric lights in it. Oh, wow. (laughs) And the thing is, I think, because I actually still believe, I believe in Father Christmas. Mm -hmm. I believe that Father Christmas had and still has a deal with whoever is providing my presence, that he or she and they get together and then they get delivered by Father Christmas. Mm. So when I was little, although I knew that my father had made this present for me and it, it was from my parents, Father Christmas had definitely delivered it, which was fantastic. So there it was. And I couldn't wait to get up and go and play with my doll's house. But overhead, although we lived at the top of the house, up into the attic, into the eaves of the house, my father had sneakily built himself a workshop, a little workshop. And the ladder up to his workshop went from the slidey door, which which was our our front door, but it was a sliding door because mm. there wasn't room to open a door in the flat. <laughs> it was a slidey door, and just this side of the slidey door was a ladder which he had built to go up to his workshop. And I could hear him banging away with a hammer, sawing wood up there. I could hear it all happening, and I wondered what was going on. And by the time we'd had breakfast and I still hadn't seen my dad, he came down the ladder with a toboggan. Oh. He had made me the present that I needed that morning and that I would have dreamt of had I known it was going to be thick snow. And he had made me the most beautiful little sledge and he had put copper runners on the bottom of it. Perfect. And he had painted it in my favourite colour, which is still one of my favourite colours, a sort of pale lilac colour. <laughs> um, I quickly put on hat, coat, scarves. My mum got dressed up warmly and we dragged the little sledge up Oppidan's Road to Primrose Hill, possibly the best place to go sledging in London. Mm. So as I was dragging that sledge up Oppidan's Road, I looked behind and said, look, mummy, the snow has changed colour. And it was the paint that wasn't yet dry. So I had these little lilac-coloured, pastel-coloured tracks (laughs) in the snow going through. And we dragged it up to the top of Primrose Hill and it whizzed down faster than anybody else's sledge. And I was there, my mum sitting on the back of it with her knees, you know, either side of me. And um, we, we took several tumbles and just loved every moment. 
and just the magic that my dad was able to go up into his own little Santa's workshop, really, mm. and make that sledge for me. And I could play with it that morning and the snow was still falling and it was Christmas Day. And it, it doesn't get much better than that, I don't think. No. I bet he remembered it all his life. I bet he treasured it. Because as a father, that's the best thing you can do to give your child the thing that they really want. And something that they have made. Yes. Well, did he really make all of it? Are you sure when he was up there you didn't hear little high-pitched voices going, oh, could you pass me a hammer? And yeah. no, are you sure? <laughs> and, and, and in the background, a voice saying, I'm very tired, you know. I really need to go to bed. I've been up all night. I've been all around the world. Come along now. Hurry up. Are you, sh- are you sure? Maybe if I'd listened harder, that's what I would have heard, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Thank you, Sarah. That's gorgeous. Merry Christmas. And to you, my darling, Merry Christmas and a very happy and healthy New Year. Lovely Sarah Green. Lucky me. Right, it's Graham Fellows next, the creator of such brilliant characters as Jilted John and his hit single Gordon is a Moron and the fabulous John Shuttleworth. Busy man, so you can imagine how grateful I was when Graham said he could spare me some time to talk about his Christmas memories. So grateful that I gave him a special present. Nothing to do with contractual obligations, obviously. If I give you one present, Graham, for Christmas, it, let me give you the opportunity to plug something. What would you like to plug? Oh, that's very kind of you, Mike. That's all right. Well, I'm currently uh, touring my new film, Father Earth, and I've been all over the country since the end of September showing my film and doing a Q&A afterwards, and it's been great fun. This is a film that's taken 12 years to make. Some of it's shot on an iPhone. Someone, do you remember those high-def, um, whatever you call them, little cameras? yeah. And some shot properly, but it all seems to work really well and we're getting good reviews, great feedback. Brilliant. What's it about? Oh, I can't tell you that. Only because it's it's about a lot of things. It's about it's about the environment and it's about family relationships and how worrying too much about those and our own happiness can take our, our focus off saving the earth. Mm. Sort of not understanding that if we don't have an earth, we're not going to have any relationships. It's also about my relationship with my long-standing creation, John Shuttleworth. Mm-hmm. And we talk, I talk to him in the mirror, in dressing rooms. And the film covers quite a long period. It's, it's about my, me and my dad, me and my son. And uh, people find it funny, but also quite moving. And anyway, there's a download available. And if you go to the website, fathereartmovie.com, uh, you should find the link to buy a, a, a rent a download. Fantastic. Maybe you could buy one for Christmas for your family. That will be my Christmas present for everybody. There you are, the link. <laughs> <laughs> and looking back at my Christmas, sirs, which you have required me to do, mm-hmm. I feel like I am ambivalent about every single Christmas. Well, post the age of 10. Yeah. Um, they've always been pretty good, but then I've always felt a bit sad towards the end, usually through overindulgence. Yeah, well, they never quite live up to what you hope they're going to be. We don't live in the Disney world, do we? No, you do when you're a kid. And obviously, when you have kids, which I have, uh, when they're young, you really, you can, you want to get into their frame of mind and uh, and have that excitement that they do. When did you last as an adult get a present at Christmas that you went, oh, brilliant, I've always wanted one of these? Well, 
I've got this problem about receiving presents uh, is that I, I used to only care about the presents I got and now I only seem to care about the presents I give. Yeah. I'm sure there's a name for that condition that I have. Is it a lack of self-respect or something? I don't, I don't know what it is, but I can't really get any joy. For what it, and, I, and I'm very aware that I'm putting on uh, an excitement when I open. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, this is lovely, you know, and lovely paper. Mm -hmm. But I'm not actually feeling anything. And I know I've got some work to do on myself to try and rediscover the joys of receiving a present. Yeah, but the presents you got as kids... You thought, well, this is going to change my life, you know. Yes. And I can't really think of anything now that I'd get that would do that. No. I mean, a Ferrari. If I got a Ferrari, I'd be thinking, how am I going to pay for that? The insurance would be ridiculous. Um, I do seem to get most joy from the little things, like a book. I do like books, and where I know the person who's bought it me has has thought about it, even if they haven't. Uh, the best present I've received for years, I think, is my granddaughter. She. They have a little market at school where the kids can go round with a pound and buy things. And they're things that have been donated and they choose them and they can buy them as presents for their relatives. So they're only allowed to spend up to five pounds so they can buy five presents. Well, she bought a present for her mum, a present for her brother, a present for her dad, a present for my wife and a present for me. And in the summer, we'd gone to the beach and I had dived into the sea yeah. excitedly and then realised I had my wallet in my pocket. So Ooh. it came out and we dried it on the beach and what have you. But the wallet was leather and it was really badly affected by the seawater. And she'd bought me a wallet. And the fact that she'd remembered that yeah. and had really thought about it, it absolutely immediately brought me to tears. And that's the best present. That's the best present. But but what happened? See, I'm thinking of the old wallet that has all that provenance that it, it was in, <laughs> you know, ruined by salt water and that, that experience. Did Did you not want to hang on to it? I do still have it, yeah. <laughs> but you're not telling your granddaughter. No, no. <laughs> um, have you ever written a Christmas song? Oh, yes. John Shuttleworth's written several. Um, mm -hmm. My favourite, actually, is... I mean, everyone knows... Well, not everyone. All the Shuttleworth fans know The Christmas Orphan. Christmas is a time for the family, but for an orphan, how can it be? You've got your presents around the Christmas tree. What's an orphan got? Just his memories. Beautiful. Now, that might seem a little bit callous, really, for John, and it is because it's not really a John song. I wrote that when I was a cocky young drama student, aged uh -huh. about 21, one night with a with a fellow drama student, and um, for a jape, we wrote a sort of spoof, bad taste Christmas song. <laughs> and then years later, I was looking for a Christmas song, and I dug it out and gave it to John. But in his voice, of course, it's quite touching. Yeah, and and his voice sort of softens the uh, the blow, really. Always, and you absolutely accept that he can't possibly understand exactly what he's saying. Absolutely. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, my other favourite Christmas song I wrote is called Pine for Christmas, which was um, Good. clever. inspired by seeing a, a sign in a, in a shop offering pine wood for Christmas, and it just inspired <laughs> me to write, uh, I'll just sing you the chorus again. And I did Please do. Th this is one of John's. Pine for Christmas, for the coloured lights, the tinsel on the tree. Pine for Christmas, da-da-da-da, <laughs> and all the... And all the children who miss this. Yeah. It, it, it <laughs> that didn't really work because I missed out a couple of the lines. 
But the basic, the message was, you know, you should pine for the people who don't have a good time at Christmas because of poverty. Right, rather than what you're missing. Yeah. Well, thank you, Bishop. It's been lovely to talk to you. <laughs> and I think your Christmas message will go across to the nation. Absolutely. But I, I do think it's important to learn how to receive again because, you know, as a kid I was obsessed with just my presence. I mean, I was terrible. I used to go in my parents' wardrobe where I knew all the, the presents were hidden. I'm sure a lot of kids did this and still do. And they wouldn't be wrapped. They'd just be like just in the bags that she'd bought them in from the shops. And I'd always have a peek and and then put them back, and, and it was tragic. Yeah. And then, of course, on the day I had to pretend that it, I was, I didn't know what they were. But now I just don't want to know. I've got two daughters, and um, and I know I don't see enough of them, and they're in, they're in their late 20s and early 30s. And I was thinking when they text me to say, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? I, I, I was thinking this year I might say, I don't want anything really, just maybe – to see you and go out for a day, and um, I'll, I'll even buy the lunch. Yeah, well, that'll do it. That'll yeah. swing it. Usually, I think with uh, with adult children, I'll buy lunch. That, that works for me. That usually swings it, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but and then you have to give them a bit, bit of cash as you say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> you still do that? Um, and actually, I've I've stopped doing it with the older ones, which is quite pleasant. But instead, you're using the cash to save towards uh, some money for a mortgage. My father wasn't very rich and never actually did that thing of, are you all right for money? I was always giving him money, actually. But in, <laughs> I preferred to take him to, like, Berlin or Amsterdam on via Ryanair for 99p. He, he, mm. see, he always liked to bargain. So if I told him <laughs> that the flights only cost 99p, he'd go, oh, yes, let's do that. That sounds great. And then he'd come away <laughs> with me. Brilliant. Yeah. Lovely. Have you spent Christmas away at well, all? I have, and this is – I know we're coming to it eventually. My story will be mm-hmm. kind of the one time when I didn't spend Christmas at the family home. Yeah, I'd love to hear what that is, yeah. Um, are you not – there's no fanfare, there's no jingle. Okay. It's Christmas story time. Yeah, because in a way this one sticks in my mind. It's 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 As I say, the only time I didn't – spend it with my family it was the first time i spent christmas not at the at my parents home or my, mm. my nan's home so I, I was about 22 or 23 i was living in manchester so for the first time i had nowhere to go so i could have spent it on my own mike but that would have been a bit sad wouldn't it yeah though i do still want to do that one day and just drink bread and water or or just a little packet of soup or something and just see what it feels like you know <laughs> Well, you know, no, watch out for what that, you wish for. I know. I shouldn't I shouldn't be glib about that sort of thing. But no, this so so a friend, uh yeah, I was a sort of an actor in Manchester and a an actress friend was having her parents over to her flat in Manchester. So I went over just for the day and um they were heavy smokers, as indeed was my friend Rosie. Mm. Um so it's Mike and Marjorie with the parents they and, they and they were just fagging it all day long as was rosie and she was cooking a meal as well now i was a smoker at the time but i very quickly didn't feel the need for a fag mm. and the air soon became thick with, <laughs> with smoke honestly you could hardly see there was a thick fog of smoke and um <laughs> and then we had the meal and it was all right but it 
covered in soot, you know. <laughs> and, and then they carried on smoking and the ashtrays were overflowing and and it put me off smoking for about three weeks. Brilliant. Sad that I'd started again, though. Yeah, we all made that mistake. But I just remember, you know, I remember nothing about the meal or the conversation, just the constant fags. I mean, we knew of the dangers of smoking, but we still smoked. It, well, I did. If I, did you smoke or were you sensitive? I did. I did smoke. Yeah, yeah stupid. Yeah, I know. And, it, and, and then you've got this nicotine addiction, which you just cannot get out of. But I'm so glad uh, none of my kids smoke. Uh, and they don't drink very much either. It's remarkable. <laughs> That's an alcoholic mother for you. That's it, the, the aversion therapy. Yeah. <laughs> Think of Mike and Marjorie mm. lighting up another fag. Yeah. The overflowing ashtrays. So is that it? Are we going to wish each other Merry Christmas? And We are indeed going to wish okay. each other a very Merry Christmas. And I hope you have a lovely time. And I hope you do get exactly what you want, which is uh, your children. Yeah, no, I think that would be great. Actually, I might suggest that. Mm. A whole day. Shall I press save? You don't get this on other podcasts, you know. I bet you can hardly contain your excitement. So while we've got you hooked and begging to know what comes next, let's take a commercial break. Back in a jiffy. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome back. Anyway, no time to waste. Come on, it's nearly Christmas. I'm sure you still have wrapping to do. So let's hear from our next Christmas guest, the internet sensation Johnny Weldon, and a story of a disastrous Christmas day. I do think of a story. Okay. This is maybe one of the most... Uh, it's up there with uh, probably one of the most significant things that's ever happened to me. <laughs> and it happened on Christmas Day. It's the story of when I nearly died on Christmas Day. And I know that sounds awful, but it's got it's a bit of a funny story. Okay. So I basically have probably only spent about two Christmases at home in the last 10 years because I've always been in some random house in the middle of nowhere doing panto, um, eating you know turkey with the, the landlady in, in the <laughs> arse end of nowhere. And then about five years ago, I, I went home for my first Christmas in years, so I was really conscious of trying to put in lots of effort and make my parents happy that I was, and everyone was round the table, my grandparents, all my family, this, that, and the other. We're all sitting around having a lovely time. For some reason, my brother had watched a video that day of a hippo eating a watermelon and consuming it whole. 
<laughs> and he was telling this story to the table. And my dad said, oh, that would be the equivalent of a human eating, well, I don't know, a Brussels sprout. And I decided to test that. <laughs> so, so without telling anyone, I just dug my fork into a Brussels sprout and swallowed it whole. But I didn't swallow it. It just got lodged right in the middle of my throat. Oh, no. And I couldn't, I, I, I just began to panic. I was kind of grabbing people. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't swallow, so I get, nothing would go up, nothing would go down. Mm. And my dad started laughing because he thought I was doing like, you know, Boy Who Cried Wolf. He thought it was a bit of a joke because I was always showing off, messing around. So I grabbed my brother's red wine, hoping that that would push it down. And as I swallow the red wine, it won't go down. So it all comes out of my nose all over the Christmas dinner. And at that point, bedlam. People are <laughs> screaming. People are running. My mum dropped a tray of about 10 drinks. Everyone was just screaming and shouting, oh my God, fuck, what have you done? What are you... And by the end of it, my brother had me bent over a table, giving me the Heimlich manoeuvre <laughs> as I just spilled wine everywhere, knocked food all over the place. And then it finally popped back up. Oh. But my brother, as a paramedic, said he was looking at uh, my neck, thinking we're about 10 seconds away from something pretty awful happening. Oh, my I, God. I felt so bad. The first person I apologised, my grand was sat opposite me, and I just said to my grand, I said, I'm so sorry that you had to witness that. And she was so drunk, she went, I didn't even see anything that's happened. <laughs> <laughs> even though we've been running around screaming and I've been bent over a table. <laughs> that's the story of how I nearly died on Christmas Day. Oh, my God. Have you eaten a Brussels sprout since? Weirdly, yes. I don't know if it's like exposure and response therapy, but I'm not too triggered by them. I will. But never hold. I'll, I'll calm Never hold. No. No, please don't. Yeah. Other than that, my Christmases have been quite nice. <laughs> that's what I bury forever. I'd put that down and I'd go, yeah, I never want to. Yeah, yeah, we're going to bury that Christmas. That's terrible. Absolutely. Oh, Johnny. The, well, I hope this Christmas you avoid the sprouts. Stay away from them. It'll be a sprout-free season for me this year. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah. Also, because I understand you fart like a trooper. There is that as well. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. Yeah. Good old Johnny. A trooper indeed. Catch him in Panto if you're anywhere near York this Christmas. Right, next we have the writer and film director, creator of the brilliant film Leon the Pig Farmer, Gary Signor. Gary and I spent a lovely time together in 2022 filming series two of his comedy series, Hapless, which will be out next year. And as you'll hear, he's already working on series three. Gary's Jewish, so it was interesting to talk about what Christmas meant for him. Christmas was the one day in the year when, you know, I wanted to be Christian. It was something that I, I absolutely enjoy and have made something of a thing of. And we have like the, you know, we have a Christmas lunch and we watch the King's speech. It'll be the first time this, this time around. Well, the film or the actual speech? No, 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 the speech. <laughs> <laughs> but there are some Jewish people, you know, who are very anti certain things. Like I'm anti, you know, I would never put a Christmas tree in my house, but mm. I'll still do the Christmas lunch. There are other Jewish people who do the whole Christmas tree they call it Hanukkah Bush. And that's actually in series three of Hapless. I've written a Christmas episode. Oh, brilliant. Into series three. And the thing that I love, which I assume you may want to know, is that right? That you want to know the thing that I would keep 
Yeah, or the one thing about Christmas that you loathe. No, I don't loathe anything about Christmas. And the thing that I love about Christmas more than anything else is King's College Choir Christmas Carols. It's about four o'clock, it's just getting dark, and I have to watch it. And I love, I I love this. So I was going to do this trick on you, actually, because I forgot we were being, I would be seeing you. But I was going to say, look, I've actually got here what I I love, and I've set it all up. And (laughs) And then I was going to go... Once in royal David city stood there. I was no, you know, then I would go, no, that's actually. But I love Christmas carols. They're so memorable. I love them from my childhood when we used to sing them at school. Mm-hmm. And then I just got more into them. As I get older, I still just love them. I have to limit myself to December the 1st. I can't listen to them before December the 1st. No. And then you sort of get caught up in... I mean, I actually did this with Tim in series one of Hapless. I had him singing away in a manger in a toilet. <laughs> Tim was dressed as a vicar, and the vicar was dressed as an imam outside. So I got very annoyed that Tim was singing away in a manger in a toilet. <laughs> well, I've got this very weird thing where for some reason, I, and I think it comes from Silent Night being originally a German thing. Yeah. And Silent Night is a, is a beautiful carol. But mm. I tend to wander around the house <laughs> by myself going... Silent Nacht, holy <laughs> Nacht, and I just, I, I there's something about, and then you end up sort of translating everything into a sort of cod German. They in das manger, no came for das bed. You know, I, I just love doing these things to myself. But I love, I just, I, I love all of the Christmas guys, and I don't know why they keep insisting on writing new ones. No. Just. Do the old ones. We love them. It's true. Although there's one called King of All the World, which I'd never heard until my children went to school. And it's now one of my favourites because when they performed it in the church and we went along for the carol concert, all the kids sing this song and it goes, He was born King of All the World. And that's the tune. And there was one little boy at the front who obviously didn't really know this hymn, but he knew that bit. Right. So he would sing, I was born <laughs> king of... He would belt it out. And I can't hear that song without absolutely having hysterics. I'll have to listen to that one. But Look I mean, how much more blessed are we that we have the tradition of these wonderful Christmas carols? Yeah. As opposed to the, um, I hate to say it, but the Americans who have... Well, the Jimmy Dumb da da dee da 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 da, you know, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. No religious elements to this at all. Weird, isn't it? Because it's a very religious country. Yeah, I don't know what the I don't know what the right wing fundamentalists, evangelicals do. I don't know if they're all singing whatever it is. No, we wish you a Merry Christmas is an English one, isn't it? Although I never knew what the food was that they you you had to get. Uh, figgy pudding figgy pudding that's right yeah <laughs> figgy pudding and what on earth is wassailing wassailing uh, well you'll find out in series three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what fun it's a real shame that we don't get carol singers do you get carol singers where you are occasionally yeah I used to do carol singing I used to go out and sing with a large group of people around barns and we used to make a lot of money but when you say we used to make a lot of money you well, we made a lot charity. of money for, yes, for charity. Not, not you used to make a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely not. I'm not saying that. There's no way I'm saying that publicly. No, <laughs> we, we used to do it for shelter. I miss it. We don't get them all here. I mean, you know, when it was uh, Halloween, you couldn't move 
for people coming out the streets. But there is, I've never been visited in Finchley by uh, any carol singers. Wow. So actually what I'm doing in series three is I've got you guys going around carol singing <laughs> and trying to find someone who's actually, uh, who's actually Christian <laughs> and not an atheist. The idea that the, the, the Christians invented this idea of the, or it happened, whichever, um, but the baby, it's such a great thing. I mean, you, how can you not love a baby yes. as the foundation for a festival, the birth of a baby. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's fantastic. Instead of all the, you know, horrible stuff, <laughs> everyone loves a newborn baby. Yeah. You know, so it's a win-win. I like the fact that he remained in a nappy for the rest of his life. <laughs> it, wasn't a, it, was, it wasn't a nappy. It was, well, it was a, I don't know, if Pampers had been around then, they certainly would have been sponsoring it. Yeah. <laughs> Pro- Procter and Gamble sort of written across the, the top. Are you suggesting that somebody should make an advert where basically Mary picks up the baby Jesus and then goes, oh, no, it's <laughs> leaking. Oh, I've only been worn pampers. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would sell them, wouldn't That's, it? That is brilliant. It's a brilliant idea. And then the next day, they pick it up and said, oh, it's absolutely dry. It's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> There's three kings who turn up with different kinds of nappies. <laughs> 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 One just has a toweling nappy, <laughs> yeah. about as useful as myrrh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're in trouble. Well, your podcast, mate. Your podcast. It's me. It's me. I'm going to have to take the brunt of it. But then I shall. I shall obviously, you know, record something around it, saying that it's not my fault. This man's a monster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Listen, I wish you and all of your listeners a very, very, very merry Christmas. Yes, I'm looking forward to making Series 3 of Hapless with Gary. Of course, there'll be nothing controversial in it. And it stars my next guest, Tim Downey, who's in Toast of London, Miranda, Upstart Crow, the film of Les Miserables, Good Omens, bloody everything, actually. And here he is with a story of a Downey Christmas tradition. Sort of. So I was thinking, oh, now what do we have as a tradition within my family growing up? And then I was thinking, actually, what do we have in our family now that is a tradition that hopefully will kind of be passed on, be handed on to the next generation. So we are creating our own traditions of things. So mm. I was thinking about that, thinking, ah, what, you know, what do we have? There's certain little things that you kind of start, you think, oh, this will be nice. And then you think, no, it's too much effort. And um, that'll, that'll be done once or twice and then that's it. Or it's too expensive or it's too far away or mm. those kind of things. And then again, because of this, I was thinking about objects. What do we have? What will be handed down? What could be given? And then I remembered this wonderful little little object that we have that we that we pretty much forget about every year and then suddenly see it again as we undo the Christmas decorations. And there it is. Yeah. Kind of tucked in a corner. We go, God, it's still, it's still there. That's extraordinary. So it's a Christmas decoration. And it's uh, a, a quite a small a sort of gold bauble made out of, very thin, fragile plastic, that kind of thing where you would, you know, you'd buy in bulk and you'd lose them, break them, you wouldn't care, that kind of thing. And this one has a big kind of dent in the side of it. It doesn't even have a string to kind of hang it up. It's just kind of got a little clip thing. It's, you know, it's the type of thing you would look at and throw in the bin. But we have kept this for this very reason. So the story behind it is when my eldest was uh it was her first sort of proper christmas and we thought well you've got to take him to go and see a santa because that's that's what you do 
and we went uh, to the the local grotto, um, <laughs> if that's a thing. Apparent the local <laughs> the local West London grotto, as you do. Yeah, and um, went in to go and see the the Santa there. Now, this Santa was absolutely extraordinary. Like by far and away the greatest Santa that I think I've ever seen. Real beard, good sort of weight. You walked in and there was a hushed silence, almost of reverence. Everything about it was almost like, is this? No, that's ridiculous. Possibly. (laughs) He barely moved. The children were silent, were kind of wrapped towards him. This is absolutely extraordinary. And, you know, our our daughter was was there kind of wrapped again, thinking, "My, my God, she's just over one. And wrapped with the storytelling and everything about it, the light—I think the lighting wasn't was very, very good. Hence, it was a little bit shadowy, so it created a bit of mystery. Mm. And obviously, that room was completely done out in Christmas decorations and and all of that. And then, you know, we kind of took her up. She got her little present. She came back. We got back in the pram, and and out we went. Still going. That's the most extraordinary Santa Claus <laughs> I think I've ever seen. And I'm going through my bank of other Santa, and it's by far and away he was the best. So anyway, we, we get quite a distance away. We turn around and we, and we and we look at it and said, "Oh, did you did you enjoy that?" And in her little hand is this Christmas decoration. She has decided to steal a Christmas decoration from the Christmas tree from the real Santa. From the real Santa's. Have Christmas... you been a good girl? And up until that point, it was all going well for her. <laughs> right then, really not good. You kind of go, oh, it's a kind of, oh, God, this thing. We'll just put it over there. We'll put it on the tree for this, you know, those first trees that you get. And you think, well, we'll we'll, we'll fill this as the years go by. So you have like five decorations on a kind of quite a thin tree. Mm. You think, oh, God, look at this awful thing. And then slowly <laughs> the tree fills up and you think, maybe we'll retire this one. And it still keeps arriving. It still keeps popping back. Yeah. No matter what happens. So now it's uh, the tradition to have this first Christmas decoration that still, I don't know how it survived. It's so thin, like you would drop it and it would kind of implode. You know, one of those kind of really thin, hard plastics that's cheap, that it would even have the slightest bit of vibration, it would crack. Father Christmas magic. Magic of Christmas has kept it alive. Yes, and every year Father Christmas comes down the chimney and he looks into that golden globe with his dent in it and Before, he's always looked into it and imagined that he was as slim as he appeared in that little golden orb. He looks at it and he sees the reality of life, that in fact he's a chubby little old man. (laughs) And he thinks, well done to that child for teaching me that lesson. Well done, exactly. This has become the Santa's Hall of Mirrors. Mm. Is in that golden bauble from those, oh, those halcyon days. <laughs> you know, nine years ago in, in West London. I should imagine it's the only one-year-old that's ever been in to see Father Christmas and didn't scream its head off. Well, honestly, this guy was absolutely I- exceptional. I think he was from Bournemouth. I don't, you know, obviously I don't know that means he's not the real Santa because the real Santa wouldn't be from Bournemouth. But no. um, I just like the fact that even though, you know, we've said you'll get a little present from Santa because that's what happens. She still saw it that, no, I'm going to, I'm also going to steal. Um, because that's this is more pricey than I thought it was going to be I think I deserve that as well yes I'm just going to pull that off that tree thank you very much (laughs) and off I go marvellous what a heartwarming Christmas tale that is I think so I think it's it's up there with some of the best works of Paul Auster and some of the other great writers that's that's going to that's going to echo down the generations Mike (laughs) 
<laughs> Tim Downey there. And we stay with the theme of a family tradition with our next guest, the brilliant stand-up comedian Nick Helm, one of my favourites, who I hope is ready to tell you his Christmas treasure. So, whenever you're ready, off you go. Well, brilliant. Well, um, well I'm ready now. OK. <laughs> um, I think... Uh, but we're talking about what we would put in our Christmas time capsule. Yeah. Most of my Christmas memories... Um, I do a, a, a podcast, or I used to do a radio show with my friend Nathaniel Metcalf. Mm. And one of the things that we both have in common is that we both really love the Christmas radio times. <laughs> and it was like one of those things where it would arrive like before Christmas and then I would take it and I would get a highlighter pen and I would go through the whole film section and just highlight all of the films that I wanted to see that were over the Christmas period. <laughs> and then you'd kind of like go through and you'd tick them off as you got there. And that was like a very exciting thing. We don't have it anymore because of all of like um, uh, all of the different streaming sites and TV isn't really kind of like a communal a communal thing. But like the Christmas Day premiere, mm. the movie premiere that they have in the evening used to be quite a big deal, kind of like... Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose there's still Strictly Come Dancing. Yes, yes. Yeah. There, there are sort of like some kind of scheduled TV dates for the diary that, that still exist. Mm. But normally people kind of like catch on to it. It's like word of mouth and then people binge stuff in like an afternoon. I used to love it when video recorders came in, that you would get it and you would sit down and you'd program your recorder. Program it, yeah. 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 yeah and you weren't allowed to touch the, the VCR. <laughs> My dad has a very good habit of unplugging everything, <laughs> which is good in one respect, but in the other, it ruined your, it ruined your VHS programming. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was just a really real Christmassy thing. Mm. And I don't get the radio times anymore. I think my parents get the radio times and um, I probably would still get the Christmas radio times if I could be bothered to leave my flat. But, um, <laughs> but of course, the world was divided between the people who bought the radio times and the people and the who TV bought the TV times. times. What, yeah. what sort of animals were they? Yeah, it was the line in the sand between the BBC viewers and the ITV viewers. <laughs> Uh, whether you were EastEnders or you were Coronation Street, yeah, and, uh, mm. yeah. I mean, that was a huge, <laughs> that was a huge thing. My grandparents were, were, I think, my grandparents would have been TV Times people, and they and they always used to love Coronation Street. Mm. We went through periods of watching EastEnders. I mean, we lived in London. We were, we were brought up in London. Well, we can go and stand in the street. Like, oh yeah, this is exactly what London is like. EastEnders. <laughs> so, so we were always BBC people, but my grandparents were ITV. It would have been an amazing thing to have been on the cover of the Radio Times because apparently, and I don't know if they still do it, they used to have a party every year for anybody who'd been on the cover. Oh, wow. Yeah, can you imagine that? So there'd be Morecambe and Wise. Right. And there'd also be people who'd been in major dramas. The cast of Casualty. The cast of Casualty, or turning up, hundreds of them, yeah. So, in fact, in a way, they used to make the choice about what they put on the cover, depending on how big the budget was for the party that year. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Because Christmas, there's normally like an illustrated picture of Santa Claus or something on the front. So yeah. it's kind of like, all oh, right, right. Well, we can save a little bit of money because Santa will be very busy and he won't be able to come to the Christmas party. <laughs> Thank God they didn't advertise 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, dogs. Yeah. You could no, I won't. <laughs> it's Christmas. Let's keep it light. 
<laughs> yeah, I loved getting the Radio Times. I loved ploughing through it and all the things that you were going to watch on the day. There were no means of ever watching anything unless you watched it when it went out. Yes, right. So that Radio Times was a Bible. And you got really annoyed if someone came around to visit or something. That was it. You couldn't watch this thing that was next on the list. Yeah. Well, and also with only like three or, well, it would have been four and then five channels. Yeah. There was a lot of clashes. And <laughs> But when we got a VHS, then it would be like, what are we watching live and then what are we taping? Mm. I think all, all those people who did record all those things, they never actually went back and watched them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I had very meticulously listed, detailed VHS covers, and there'd be kind of like seasons of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies on Saturday night, mm. um, sponsored by Diet Coke, you know, on ITV, and I'd tape all of them, and I'd have them all listed, and I'd do like the... Um, I'd press the button where you could make the tape last twice as long, and I'd get like, yeah. you know, five films on each videotape and everything. Yeah, it was brilliant. I loved it. No concern about quality at all. Uh, no, 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 no. Still not either. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to make sure that you get the Radio Times delivered this Christmas. You must do. Yes. And then you won't have to leave the flat. You can no. just have it pop through the door. And there's hours and hours of fun. Yeah, I won't have to watch telly either. I could just imagine, imagine what all the telly's like. <laughs> it would be interesting to get the Radio Times from the week that you were born. Oh, that's a good idea. And see what's in it. Yeah. I think a quick phone call to the BBC now. I'll leave you to put that marketing idea to them, and I hope you have a lovely Christmas. Oh, yeah, you too. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me back. Keep well, and I hope to see you soon. You too. Thank you very much. It's lovely to see you again. Thank you. Nick Helm, such a polite, gentle, lovely man, famous for his stand-up, which is very much the opposite of that, but brilliant as a result. Don't miss Nick if the chance comes your way. Still, the list of guests with something they treasure from a Christmas past continues, and this time it's the creator of Ghost Stories and the fourth member of the League of Gentlemen, Jeremy Dyson. Rather like Nick, Jeremy is a gentle, sweet man, but he's always been fascinated with horror, so I think you can guess what he's chosen. It was a trio of books. It was Christmas 1973, hmm. so I was only seven, and um, there was three books I got that, that Christmas in my... We had a pillowcase, not a stocking. <laughs> one was the Screen Test Annual, of which there was only one that year. I don't think they, they did one after that. One was um, a book called Horror Movies, mm. which was, um, I've got it on the shelf up here. Uh, it was, there's two, there's, there's two famous ones that we've all got. The one with Bella Lugosi on the cover. It's actually got um, Christopher Lee's Dracula on the ah, cover. Ah, that's, that's what it is, yeah. Uh, it's Alan Frank, Alan Frank. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. The movie treasury of horror movies, Octopus. And then the third one, is, which I've also got because I keep it on the shelf, is <laughs> this one, Movie Magic, The History of Special Effects in the Cinema, The Story of Special Effects in the Cinema by John Brosnan. And I, of those three, I, it's that one. It's the John Brosnan one that I would keep um, mm. because it, it lit a fire, definitely, because it, it, that was the first job I wanted to do. I, I read that book, and I, I want to be a special effects man, mm. do special effects for film. And I guess the thing that probably first caught my eye in the book was there was a chapter on Ray Harryhausen and stop motion. And I knew those, I knew those films or I knew Sinbad mm. and Jason and the Argonauts. And so I would have seen that, both of those on telly. Yeah, I always think of that as a Christmas treat, that film. Yeah, 
What, Jason and the Argonauts or Sinbad? Jason and the Argonauts, yeah, with the uh, the sword fight with the skeletons. Absolutely yes. brilliant. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, 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 me and one million other people <laughs> were had a fire lit by those movies. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there was something... Yeah, I was already into, into magic and conjuring, uh, or at least the idea of it, and so then realising that there was this whole branch of it that was specifically for films mm. uh, and television really was quite something. So, yeah, that, that was... So for years, those, those years onwards, that was what I wanted to do, was do special effects. Yeah. And so you had to wait a long time then. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and, and, and I went on a, a circuitous... That's, circuitous... I can't even say the word. <laughs> a roundabout. That's better. Yes. A roundabout route. So... Um, when I actually said that when I came to the point where we were doing effect shots and stuff, mm. you know, it was massive deja vu because then it took me right back to, oh God, this, this is where it started for me, you know, <laughs> this excitement. Yeah. Um, and we had this, on Ghost Stories, we had this amazing special effects team. It was this father and son, Ian Rowley and his son. And Ian's probably about, well, this was five years ago, six years ago. Ian was probably about 70 then. Mm. And his son was a bit younger than me, probably. And uh, Ian had done everything. He'd started on Sooty in the 50s <laughs> oh. with Harry Cole, like original incarnation of Sooty, you know, when he mm. was a boy at 16. And anything that was North-based, he'd, he'd done it but pretty much. He designed and built Dusty Bin for 3-2. Wow. But anyway, he, because he'd done everything over the years, absolutely nothing phased him. And he could make miracles out of nothing. So we had this one ghost in the film Ghost Stories that was um, a sheet that had to come to life from a cot and sort of rise up and then disappear or, or fall down. And on stage, we had a similar effect that we'd just done with a, you know, bits of fishing line and it's pretty old school. Mm. But, but we needed it to be completely invisible because it was all going to be one shot. It was a really long shot, long steady cam shot that Martin Freeman walked into and we were following him. So we couldn't have anything visible and it, it precluded really doing it with fishing wire and because mm. the camera would have seen it and it was a moving shot. So it would have been a nightmare to paint it out. So he came up with this miraculous thing that was was cooked up from like fan heaters and uh, of, of differing temperatures and <laughs> this pot that was hollowed out underneath. And he just, he just knew where to aim these jets of air <sighs> so that it would raise the sheet from underneath. Oh and then just God. by kind of adjusting slightly, you know, the, either the temperature or the direction of one or the other, this, this sheet went up and down. It was ex absolutely extraordinary. Uh, suddenly it's alive. Yeah, and you couldn't have done it in the computer and got it to look anything like what it looked mm. like. And it was me and Andy were just blown away, and we, it was such a <laughs> literally thrilling. well, oh yeah, nearly. It did make a very loud noise. That was the only thing. So uh, you could never do it on stage. You or? couldn't have done it on stage now because no. it was it was like you know it was like six hoovers. What a brilliant idea! All the best ideas are simple, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, but it was it was the combination, the simplicity of the idea. And the fact that, you know, he'd probably done something similar for Harry Worth in 1977. <laughs> and it was just there and his danger. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. You know, well, I know what we can do. You know. <laughs> no, not all over me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant, Jeremy. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. 
And Merry Christmas to you. Pleasure to talk to you, as always. OK, time for my last guest. And I couldn't leave this gathering without a funny story from Joe Pasquale and a bit of a chat about pantomime, the ultimate Christmas entertainment. At least you'd think so. I mean, it certainly looks that way from the audience, doesn't it? Do you like doing Dame? I do, although I think I'm getting a bit old for it, Joe. It's very hard work, isn't it, Dame, because you have to change all the time. I've always said the day I have to put a dress on for Panto is the day I pack it up because I couldn't do it. I like going out in one working costume, it's tatty as ever, and it gets wet, it's sweaty, dirty, and then wash it every night in between shows, whatever you put it back on again. The day I have to put on six or 12, 15 dresses, whatever it is they do, mm. it's the day I pack it up. That's too hard to work. Yeah, and all that makeup. You're in, you know, well before anybody else putting on makeup. They all stroll in 10 minutes before and you're oh. just finishing off the eyebrows or something. Yeah, I haven't got the patience for that, mate. And also, it's dripping all off you. And then if you do... <laughs> No, it's not for me, love. No, I don't blame you. It's probably not for me anymore. First yeah. thing I ever had happen was I was doing, a, I was doing um, it was Wizard of Oz and I was playing the Scarecrow and it was a long time ago. It was very cheap production. I mean, really cheap. And mm. it was, nowadays, things have changed in Panto. As you know, health and safety came in about 25 years ago. That was one thing yeah. that happened, right? You know, mm. I used to go out with, with a tennis racket and fire boiled sweets out with a tennis racket. Can't do that anymore. <laughs> no. I remember someone lobbed a sweet back at the dame nearly knocked his eye out but it was um was and i was playing the scarecrow and the people that were producing it um were well they were professional but they cut a lot of corners mm. so um we had a load of local kids in, not just one from local dance school i mean because it was a touring panto as well it wasn't static so they got local they put an advert in the local paper saying does your kid want to be one of the munchkins uh, in the wizard of oz so every single show, we had different munchkins in oh. from each different area, which sold tickets, right? So yeah. every different show, we had a different set of munchkins that didn't know what they were doing. So the first time I was on stage, the first time I'd met you, and they were nicking all the props. But the best thing was, of all, they actually put in the advert in the local papers, does your dog want to be Toto in The Wizard of Oz? <laughs> and so anybody could come down and put that dog in. So the poor girl playing Dorothy, one day she'd have an Alsatian, the next day she'd have a Chihuahua. And she had this little bike with a little basket. Half the time she couldn't get the dog in the basket. And, of course, put these poor dogs had never been on stage before. They were petrified of them. So I'm, the, I, I'm just about to go on. I'm the scarecrow. The cloth comes out, and I'm in my you know, typical scarecrow position with my arms out, head down. I have to keep my eyes closed. Mm. And Dorothy's out there trying to get the poor dog on. And he comes on. The kids screaming and shouting. And all I can hear is the audience laughing. And then it was like a wave of the whole audience going, Ugh, right? <laughs> and the dog decided to do a turd. Oh, no. And even the girl playing Dorothy went, oh, my God, like that. She couldn't either disgust because it, was, it wasn't just a little one. It was a great big steamer right in the middle, <laughs> right? And I started laughing because I looked at it and she didn't know what to do. I had no idea what to do. No, no one moved it because there was no more front cloth there. Everybody's <laughs> dance poo really smells bad. And it was one of them that everybody's gipping and gagging for the rest of the show. And I vowed then, I thought, I can't do, I can't do a cheap production anymore where you've got dogs doing number two everywhere. I can't do it. I've never touched the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> uh. Happy days, though. Lovely. Well, I'd, I'll let you get back to uh, sleeping and resting if you're in the middle of getting ready for Panto. And uh, it's really lovely of you to talk to me. 
Uh, listen, thanks for your time, Michael, as always. Have a nice Christmas, mate, with the grandchildren. I will do. I will do. I'll think of you charging around yep. doing three shows a day. And I'll smile to myself and think, you lucky bugger. Will you be dressing up as Father Christmas, though? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Good boy. All right, love. Lots of love, mate. See you, Joe. And there you have it. I hope this little compilation of some of my favourite guests has entertained you and put you in the mood for Christmas, although I'm sure you don't need me for that. We'll be back with new guests in the new year, so do subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, blackmail your enemies, and help us to keep going. Because, as I hope these Christmas episodes show... I really love doing this podcast. It's my absolute pleasure to bring them to you, along with the real worker in this two-man project. Yes, there's only two of us, my son and producer, composer, musician and sponsorship ad performer, John Fenton Stevens. Right, from both of us, have a wonderful Christmas full of love, happiness and laughter. And don't forget, as Tom Learer said... Christmas time is here, by golly, disapproval would be folly. Deck the halls with hunks of holly, fill the cup and don't say when. Kill the turkeys, ducks and chickens, mix the punch, drag out the dickens. Even though the prospect sickens, brother, here we go again. On Christmas Day you can't get sore, your fellow man you must adore. There's time to rob him all the more, the other 364. Relations bearing no expense will send some useless old utensil or a matching pen and pencil, just the thing I need, how nice. It doesn't matter how sincere it is or how heartfelt the spirit. Sentiment will not endear it. What's important is the price. Hark the Herald Tribune sings, advertising wondrous things. God rest ye merry merchants, may you make the Yuletide pay. Angels we have heard on high tell us to go out and buy. So let the raucous sleigh bells jingle, hail our dear old friend Kris Kringle, driving his reindeer across the sky. Don't stand underneath when they fly by. Merry Christmas. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.